listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Feels so intense in here. Hey, wow, wait. started this thing off right. Well, it's been amazing. I haven't seen you guys since last year. <laughs> but yeah, we all have to have at least one New Year's joke before we get started. But as I was thinking about uh, this series coming up, it's a, it's a five-week series, and we're jumping into just talking about really the heartbeat of Park Springs Bible Church. And, and really, if you will, um, it's kind of a state of the union uh, address or a conversation, really. And, and I was looking back and thinking about preparation for this message. I was thinking about, you know, all of the different State of the Union addresses that the presidents have given over time. And some of them have been great, some of them not so great. But they all have kind of very specific things, like this is where we've been, this is how many things I've done right and why I'm such an awesome president, and then this is where we're going. And so when I think about the State of the Union of Park Springs Bible Church, really what it's about is this is where we're going, right? This is the, the sense that we're wanting, hoping to capture, to, to set a roadmap as to the heartbeat of who we are convinced Christ is calling us to be amongst the body of believers here for his glory. Like what is it that distinguishes Park Springs Bible Church? What is it that the Lord is doing that you can expect and anticipate in tangible ways every time that you're here? And so one of the things, as I was looking through these State of the Union addresses, I, I, you know, what do you do? You Google. And I found one, one of the top 10, and it was uh, Abraham Lincoln's 1862 uh, State of the Union address. And again, he did the very same thing that I'm hoping to do here, which is setting the pace as to what is the most critical things that, that for him, the country needed to be invested in to move the country forward. What are the obstacles and the challenges? What, what things would he have to confront in his presidency with all of the Congress involved and, and helping the nation be aware of why this was so critical? Let me just read a section of it for you. Abraham Lincoln's 1862 address says these things. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty and we must rise to the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think anew and act anew. We must disenthrall ourselves and then we shall save our country. Fellow citizens, he says, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and the administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor. To the latest generation, in giving freedom to the slave, we ensure freedom to the free. We shall nobly save or meanly, meanly lose the last best hope of earth. He couches the emancipation of the slaves in the context of a conversation about freedom and does so with the reality and the suggestion that this is the challenge of our time. We don't meet this challenge and certainly history will remember us of those who could have done something but didn't. As I read through that whole speech and saw those words and heard the urgency and passion, I thought to myself, what 
is it here in our nation and even even as followers of Christ at Park Springs Bible Church, what is the challenge of our time? Well, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that the challenge of our time are people without Christ and a church without the gospel. I think that's the centerpiece of, of what makes us and why God has positioned us in the situation and the country and the way that he's positioned us to contribute to the reality of what we're about. We lose sight of those two things. We lose sight of the mission that God has captured and captivated us with. Without those two things, we cease to mark the journey forward as to what the church is called to be about. The challenge of our time is a people without Christ and a church without the gospel. And so what we've done here at Park Springs over the last few years is tried to capture that as best we can in a, in a culture and even as a statement that synthesizes the soul centrality of what we're about. And our mission statement is abundantly clear, discover life and the power of God's grace and share his life-changing grace with others. That's who we are in our ethos. That's what it means to function as, as the body of Christ here at Park Springs is that we as individuals seek to discover life, life in Christ through the power of God's grace that daily we don't ever suggest that we are above anybody else or further along that we are needing the rescuing, transforming grace of Jesus Christ in everyday life. As followers of Jesus, we are so convinced that the grace of Jesus Christ is what compels us and moves us towards intimacy with him that without understanding and needing to discover that on a regular basis, we end up defaulting to just trying to figure out how to do things on our own and try and be better people. God isn't making better people. God is saving souls and drawing us into intimacy with Christ. And in so doing, he's conforming us to his image so that we look more like Christ. So the conversation is not do better and do more. The conversation is let's depend on the truth of the scriptures to realize that we need his rescuing grace daily. We need the gospel. We need the reminders of the gospel in our lives that if the greatest challenge of our time is people without Christ and the church without the gospel, and we need to have the lenses of realizing that, that the church is compelled and called to seek and save the lost, to communicate the life-transforming power of the gospel to the world around us. Why? Because they daily believe it, because they daily need it. We come as needy people who are seeking the grace of Jesus Christ and so convinced of its power and its potency that it moves us into every relationship and every interaction with the world around us. That, that we are so convinced that the rescuing power of Christ is at work in our lives and it has an impact and a transformative work that we are being changed regularly because of intimacy with Jesus that we can't wait for others to experience that change as well. So we do that in five ways. And the next five weeks are those five ways. <laughs> Let me just lay them out for you. This morning is participating in spiritual formation. The desire of what it means to engage in the work of Christ. And I'll, I'll unfold that more through the context of this sermon, but it's a commitment. We believe that each and every one of us, myself included, through the rescuing, transforming grace of Jesus, need to be growing. And that God is growing us into his likeness. That the more convinced we are in, in our connection with him and prioritizing our intimacy with Jesus Christ, that he is changing us, that there are things inside of you and me that don't belong. There are areas that God must be cutting away. There are attitudes and actions, philosophies, doctrines, perspectives that need the transforming, rescuing power of Jesus. You need to be changed and so do I. 
We stand as a changed people in need of more change. And we can't change ourselves. We're trusting the power and the work of Christ through the truth of his word and through interactions with one another and the power of the Holy Spirit to be framing and fashioning us into his likeness. Participating in spiritual formation. It's what we're about. Pursuing diversity. It's an aspect of how we see that we're gonna encounter the challenges of our time. People who need Christ and and a church that needs the gospel we come to the conclusion that that involves everyone from every walk of life at all times and all places. That there is nothing that inhibits an individual from coming to that saving work of Christ. Not nationality, not socioeconomic issues, not uh, location. Whatever we can do to communicate the transforming power of Christ and bringing people in as a home for the hurting, we deeply desire individuals to find this place as a place where they will find Jesus. And that there's not the restrictions that we're going to place on unless you look like this or have this or do this, that, that somehow in some way that restricts you from encountering the gospel that's being preached in our church. So we're pursuing diversity. We're being intentional with what that means. Growing in emotional and relational health. The third aspect of how we're meeting the challenge of our time. And what does that mean? It sounds honestly a bit like psychobabble, but that's not what it is. Here's what we're saying. Relationships are hard. Welcome to the club. They're challenging. Why? Because the person that you're in a relationship with is broken and has sin in their heart, and so do you. And so do I. There's just this conflict that takes place. So when we think about being in a relationship with one another as the community of faith, we're realizing that God is using every relationship that we have and every aspect of our lives and every avenue that he can to bring to us an awareness of what? our need for Jesus, right? Like our sufficiency isn't found in the fact that all relationships are functioning great because honestly, they're not. What we're doing is we're realizing that God is showing us more of himself and more of our need for him through relationships that are challenging and broken. And so we wanna grow in how we handle those things with one another from relationships with parent to child to, to neighbor to husband to wife to to congregant, to pastor, to staff, to elders, all of those things, we need to be involved in each other's lives so that we can see the transforming power of the gospel at work in each other's lives. That's why we do it. We're so excited about what that means. And then next, we're gonna talk about reaching out in mission. Why? Because the greatest challenge of our life is a people without Christ and a church without the gospel. We believe that God has positioned us as followers of Jesus Christ to be ambassadors for another kingdom. You and I are called to represent Jesus to the world, that the greatest answer to the challenges that are coming our way in 2023 is not a less volatile political environment, although that would be awesome. It's not that somehow the infrastructure of all of the economy changes. That'd be great, I'm in. The greatest need that needs to be solved is the fact that people are destined for hell without Jesus. And it matters. It matters that we've been equipped with the truth of the gospel to communicate the saving, transforming power of Jesus with the world. So wherever God calls us and however he calls us, that every person everywhere that makes its way through our lives is divinely appointed by God to be able to communicate the truth of Jesus to them. 
whether they're believers or unbelievers, what we're saying is the gospel matters for each of us here and now, every day, all day long. Every waking moment, the gospel needs to be reminded in each of our lives and communicated to the world who does not, or at least has a confused perspective on the reality of who Christ is. And finally, we're gonna talk about joining together in worship. Why? Because again, worship is such a central element of how God meets his people and draws his people to himself. We encounter unique aspects of the character of God. God ministers to us through the preaching of the word and the communication of his character through song, us getting together corporately and praising the name of Christ is formative and fashioning us to represent and see and understand his character more fully. So why do we commit to joining together in worship? Why do we prioritize the faith? Why do we prioritize getting together weekly as a body of Christ together? Because it shows us the joy and the unity that God is building as his church is his church facing the challenges of our time. People without Jesus and a church without the gospel. We have to be the people that God is calling us to be. And so what does that look like? Well, for Park Springs Bible Church, what it means is discovering life in the power of God's grace and sharing his life-changing grace with others. It means that our whole life from beginning to end is leveraged for whatever the Lord wants to do in each of our lives by both changing us and compelling us to be in the lives of other people so that we can share and show the rescuing power of Jesus with one another in the world. I'm excited about what God's gonna do in 2023. At the same time, I'm apprehensive, right? Like you don't know and I don't know what I don't know. Like I thought it, you know, 2020 when we started off and gave this State of the Union speech in 2020, I had no idea national pandemic, worldwide pandemic was gonna hit. I don't know what's gonna happen in 2020. But what I do know that the challenges of our time are not the next catastrophic pandemic, the next worries about how this world is falling apart. It is people without Jesus and a church without the gospel. That's our challenge. So where do we go? Spiritual formation. Let me define for you what I think spiritual formation is. Spiritual formation is understanding our identity in Christ and living out of it. Now that's my definition. Feel free to take it on and challenge it as much as you want. But what I believe so significantly about what the word shows us and how the Bible communicates about spiritual formation is it's not about attitudes and actions or behavior modification. The last thing I want you to do in coming to church on January 1st of 2023 is to walk away and say, the pastor told me I just need to do better. Because <laughs> that's not it. The goal is to say in spiritual formation is what we wanna understand is that Christ is at work inside of us and that we know that he's doing things deep and often beyond what we can fully comprehend. He's working in ways. There are circumstances that are so outside of our control that there are so many things that compete against our desire to just trust him. Fear settles in, anxiety is on its way. There's so many different things that we can't manage in the world around us that we're like, I'm not sure what God is doing. And that's exactly right. We don't fully know. But we do know that God is doing something and what that something is, is he's drawing out the reality of conforming us into the image of Christ. What's actually happening is we're understanding our identity before we're thinking about how we can just do whatever we need to do. And I think that's what Paul's gonna do in the book of 1 Thessalonians. 
Now, I said the book. I'm not gonna preach the whole book, so relax. 2023 is not like, let's see how long the pastor can preach. That's not my goal. But what I am saying is that I think what he's giving us is this indication of what it looks like to understand how to live out of an identity that Christ has given us and realizing that that's the place that he's gonna continue to revisit us. The question for us in spiritual formation is, who am I in Christ? Who is my, what was my identity? Because living out of our identity is the basis for understanding so many of the decisions we make. Who we are makes a difference before what we do. And so Paul puts it in that context. So let me give you some, one suggestion this morning as we begin. We're gonna be in 1 Thessalonians and we're gonna be in chapter two. But I would like to suggest to you this morning that identity precedes activity. Identity precedes activity. Knowing who I am before I know what I need to do ends up setting me up to understand the rescuing, transforming the power of the gospel is about the work of Christ in me, not my work for Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter two, and this is where he begins. Yeah, 2022, sure enough, bifocal time. Hold on a minute. Here we go. Yeah, age catches up with you, I guess, everyone. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext of greed, God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Verse 11, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel who calls you in to his own kingdom and glory. So here's what we get when we get Paul and in 1 Thessalonians, this is an infant church that he had just planted. Acts 17 gives us the indication that he basically just went into a synagogue and started to preach over the course of three or four Sabbaths. And it says that people were convinced of the truth of Jesus and who he was. And it was some Jews, some Greeks and a whole bunch of other people just came to faith in Christ. And so all of a sudden the church was planted. 
And now the church is planted. There's these people that are like, I don't like what the church is doing. It's taking some things away. And so they incite a riot and there's chaos that ensues in this, this, this city of Thessalonica. So much so that Paul and Silas have to leave. They just get run out of town, essentially. It's amazing how much the gospel has an impact one way or the other. But they end up just running out. Of, and so now he sends Timothy to just check on how, how is this young infant church doing without really any leadership as we got, ran out of town? And sure enough, he gets this report. They're actually doing okay. They're actually focused on the things that they need to be focused on that the gospel has done such a transforming work in their life that they're convinced that it's worthy of any cost. Persecution, suffering, all of Thessalonians is gonna be about what it means to stand up in the midst of trial and all of these challenges and persecution and how to, how to grow and mature in your faith in the midst of circumstances that are not just unpredictable, but really, really, really hard. I think that's a great question. How do you grow in your intimacy with Christ? How does God grow you in the most challenging of circumstances? Paul uses some level of testimony to share, well, this is how, this is what it's about. And what is he saying early on? He said, identity precedes activity. He communicates very clearly that, that, that they were uh, coming to you not in vain, that they had suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, their boldness in the gospel to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that he is so utterly convinced of the transforming work of Jesus Christ through the good news of the gospel and the saving power of the gospel that conflict doesn't actually serve as an obstacle to the gospel. Challenge, circumstances, difficulty aren't the reasons to stop proclaiming the gospel. We proclaim the gospel in the midst of all of those things because we're aware that it's the only source and the only power for change. Identity precedes activity. Paul knew who he was in Christ and knew what he was called to in Christ. And so it wasn't about trying to convince people to do what he's done. It's saying the gospel is the saving work in such a way that it changes, transforms, rescues, and does all that needs to be done in the most unpredictable things around us. The greatest challenge of our time is people without Christ and a church without the gospel. But the greatest opportunity is a church armed with the gospel. What do I mean? a church that knows people that know who they are in Jesus. Who, who are you is really the fundamental question that we face when we talk about spiritual formation. Who, who are you? Well, according to the scriptures, there are a lot of things that God says about me that I've done nothing to achieve. Apparently, I'm a co-heir with Christ. Apparently, I'm considered a son of the most high king. Apparently, I'm loved, valued, accepted, and guaranteed to never be forsaken no matter what happens in this world. Apparently, who I am in Christ and the experience that I have can compete against all of my selfish desires and that my identity of who I am in Christ determines my destiny, not my sinful behavior and attitudes that continue to lead my heart in various directions and challenge me in so many different ways and my struggles with sin are not my identity. They're places that God has rescued me from. Apparently, the gospel even has power over my current sin, not just my past sin. Apparently, 
The gospel of Jesus Christ has power over my future sin, not just my past and present sin. Apparently, I live as a child of God who has been freed from not just sin's punishment, but sin's power. Church, my identity precedes my activity. If I understand who I am in Jesus, then I am being formed and conformed to the likeness of Christ in such a way that what I'm doing is surrendering to him and trusting that his work is going to be done through me and in me and for his glory. This is good news. So how does this play out? I'll give you a personal story. Just recently, my family decided to sit down at Christmas time. So we, we have this uh, tradition where we eat cinnamon rolls for breakfast. And then, uh, yeah, it's really healthy and nutritious. Uh, but it's Christmas, so calories don't count, apparently. But what ends up happening is we decide, and one of the things that I wanted to do is to say, there's, there's so many things changing and on the verge of changing in my family's life, Right? It's not too long that Naomi's heading to college. A couple years away, Hannah's on her heels, right? We're, I already told you the season of life, right? Parent taught driver's education, right? In the throes of, of watching, uh, my, watching my daughters and Aaron and I watching them grow in their own independence. We're starting to think to ourselves, well, how well have we set them up for the future? What sort of things have we put in place to talk about what it means to, to be a couth? to stand in a sense of an identity when we know that there are unforeseeable challenges coming their way. How, how have we equipped them to meet those challenges? There were some unanswerable questions, but one of the things that I decided to do is I wanted to develop what I would call a coat of arms or a family crest. Things that identified us of who we are as a family in the midst of the challenges that we face, that the things that we would be putting in our lives would be sort of anchor points of, of when I meet this, here are the things that are gonna direct my decisions and my perspectives. Now, not perfectly, but here's where we wanna go as a family. So when you think about the coos or the coos think about themselves, this is what we think about. So we made a family crest on Christmas morning. And here's who, and Hannah was our graphic designer. I think she did a good job. So the coos put Jesus as center. That the priority of our life is to seek and to ask and to pray and to deeply desire that the Lord Jesus would be at so work in our life that if he compels us or calls us to do anything, we're willing to follow. Even if it competes against what we want to do. <laughs> that we wanna pursue Jesus above all things. And we do that in four ways. By total honesty. That there's a sense in which out of all of the sense that we can make catastrophic human decisions and that not one of us is at the point of not just one decision away from ruining our lives, that we wanna be open and honest with one another. So much so that there's a safety in an environment where we could share with one another about the things of life. We wanna value relationships. It means that in the process of life, there's a sense in which what we wanna do is choose people over things, I want to choose people and one another over the demands of life. The third one is choose hard things. <laughs> when we think about the challenges that face us, our default is to try and make the easiest road possible. But we want to put before us as the Kuth family the reality that when things come our way or even opportunities, we want to choose the hard stuff because what we do is we believe that it 
develops and grows our faith and trust in God, that we, we want to constantly be growing. So putting ourselves in a place where we're willing to just say, hey, this is well beyond what I ever thought that I can do, but I'm willing to stretch myself and risk failure because I'm gonna choose hard things, hard things in life, hard things in relationships, hard things in life. And I'm gonna pursue connection, meaning that what we wanna do together is the sense that is, they begin to, our kids begin to grow and there's opportunities that they're gonna have and potentially down the road, boys that they might meet and all of that other such stuff. We wanna be in such a relationship with one another that we're communicating and prioritizing connections with one another as a family and with the people around us. Now, this is not perfect by any means and we are still growing and trying to figure out what this means for us. But when I think about spiritual formation and I think about what God is doing in our life, I think identity precedes activity. But who we are makes a difference before what we do. But it also, who we are helps understand and move us towards what we do, the decisions we make. So when the coups meet challenges or desires to prioritize Jesus, to be totally honest, to pursue connections, to do hard things and to value relationships. That might change over time, but that's our step in saying, God, we just want you to form us. And we wanna put some anchor points into knowing what that looks like. I think that that's what Paul does next. As he moves through this passage, specifically in verse five, here's what he says. Man, it's back to bifocals. I don't know what the deal is. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor a pretext of greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostle. Here's what he says in verse seven. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous for you, we were ready to share not only the gospel of God, but what else? Also our own lives, because you have been very dear to us. I think what Paul's saying is that you give your life to what you care about. <laughs> and so certainly on Sunday mornings, Jared and I, and even every now and then Jim and others can preach and we can preach very, very truly the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can be 100% biblically accurate, but it also involves us investing in you. That there's an attitude of relationship that, that we're displaying and communicating our need for the gospel as much as we're preaching it to you to believe the substance of what it says. That we're not just trying to share with you the truth, but our very lives. This is how God is changing us. This is what God is doing in the midst of all of our lives. Because identity affects responses. <laughs> Who we are in Christ affects how we respond to you and ideally how you would respond to me and to us. That what we would like to say and what we truly believe here at Park Springs Bible Church is that we're discovering life in the power of God's grace and sharing that life-changing or his life-changing grace with others. We're saying that there is no one person that's in this place that doesn't need change, but in the same way that can't be changed. We, we believe that change is possible for every single one of us. We're not stuck in all of those things that we aren't just gonna label one another from past and previous hurts and sins or being like, oh yeah, so-and-so always does this. Why? Because we believe the rescuing power of the gospel in such a way that identity affects responses. 
We wanna believe that even in the worst case scenarios of people responding to one another or to ourselves in terrible ways, that we're gonna have the conversation and believe that somehow in some way God is working and can work and that our identity and being reminded of who we are in Christ affects the things that we do. And then finally, I'd like to suggest to you as he finishes up this chapter that identity ignites choices. If we were able to consider just that one question on New Year's Day 2023, who am I? In Christ, if it's true, spiritual formation is understanding my identity in Christ and living out of it, then asking who I am in Christ and what that means, who God has fashioned me to be as his child, then it, it begins to grow in me a, a passion and a fervor and a desire to make choices out of who I know I am, not who everyone else tells me I should be. That's what Paul says. He, we didn't come to please man. We didn't come to be popular. We didn't come to make you do these things. Here's what we did. We, we exhorted you. We encouraged you. We challenged you. Like there are aspects of what he's saying that as he shared his life with this church in Thessalonica, this small little fledgling body of believers in the midst of a culture that was ripe with sin and all of these opportunities that they were growing in their relationship with Christ. And what he was doing is encouraging them, keep, keep going, keep, keep pursuing Jesus. And they were challenged, right? Hey, here's what you need to do. These are the things that God has called you to as you, you enjoy that relationship with him. Here's how he's gonna communicate his love and his work in your life. And here are things, if you read the rest of Thessalonians, here's what not to do. And Jesus didn't come and Paul didn't communicate to the church in Thessalonica to be a party pooper. He's saying sin, deadly, every time. And so when you're challenged with the truth of God's word, it's not somehow in some way somebody pointing their finger and judging you. It's saying this is costly. Sin always makes a mess. Sin always has some level of consequences. There's a sense in which as we're understanding our identity in Christ, what we're saying is, God, take me away from those things that are not of you. Allow me to experience your love and your compassion and your care and Protect me from the very things that I have the tendency to do because sin always makes a mess. Sin always causes problems. And so when he communicates those things to this church in Thessalonica, he's not saying, do this and don't do this. He's saying, because of who you are in Christ, you begin to grow in the value of Christ-centered things and you move away from self-centered things. Because what is so core is knowing who you are in Jesus and allowing Jesus to be the one that forms you. Greatest challenge of our time, people without Jesus and a church without the gospel. And it's on the threshold every day, every moment of every day, that we could convince ourselves that if we were just better people, things would be easier. <laughs> and it's just not true. God isn't requiring or hoping that you have enough strength to get through what you're getting through. <laughs> Apparently the economy of the kingdom is that God's strength is made manifest in what? Our weakness, that's fun. But nonetheless, what does it mean? It means that God is not averted to the weakness that we bring to the table. He is well aware of it. And so discovering our identity in Christ is discovering the power of the gospel and our daily need for him, we are going to be changed in 2023. God is doing something. 
And the core of figuring out how and what he is doing is realizing who we are in Jesus and trusting his surgical tender care. That's how Paul came to the church in Thessalonica, like a nursing mother, gentle, caring, lovingly encouraging them to pursue Jesus. And like a father, encouraging, exhorting, and challenging them to say, Jesus always matters most. Identity precedes activity. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, it is by your goodness that you've given the gift of your word that we could even comb the pages of scripture as this love letter, if you will, to your people, that you are so intentional and so purposeful in loving us so fully that you are so sufficient for everything. And yet so often in my own heart, I desire to take up my own, do my own thing, figure it out on my own and realize that the sufficiency and the capability of the truth of the gospel and Christ himself in me is all that I need. God, would you become bigger to us this year? Would we see you more fully? Would your identity that you have given us through faith in Jesus Christ become the sole substance for change? That we would not just be about activities or church things. We would be about knowing you. Help us, God, as a church, to discover life in the power of God's grace and to share that.